Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 12 of the NBA Intel Podcast. I'm your regular host, Kimberly Bomani, with my co-host, Clement Gibson, here to talk about the NBA play-in and respective NBA playoff subjects as well. But before we dive into all that, Clem, I was able to see on Twitter, doesn't look like John Moran will be making the All-NBA team. He's taken as far as feeling that his off-the-court actions have played a huge part in it, currently suing, counter-suing rather, one of his victims in his recent situations, um, a local high school hooper, feeling that his slander of him during the altercation in the offseason is why he's not potentially going to be on the All-NBA team. So my question to you is, do you feel like off-court actions should be held against all NBA contestants within the season, or should it really just be focused on their play on the court to decide if they're deserving of all NBA or not? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm somebody who likes to separate the two. Um, obviously, there are some situations that are called for to um, make somebody like expelled from this list but um i think generally if something is that bad off the court the person's going to miss enough games to where they're not going to be qualified anyways um so i don't think this issue especially since it's a lot of speculations he say she say and i mean we've 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 gotten some concrete evidence but it still feels like there's not there's not like a a real close to what what's happened like there's no real resolutions it's still like okay well this person said this the 17 year old said that this person in the store said this so um I don't have a problem with anybody not putting him on the team because of what happened in the games he missed but if you're just solely going off of oh this happened and this guy got in trouble um then it's just become the slippery slope because Kyrie has missed some time and gotten in trouble off the court for things and had he played at, you know, the level that he ended the season at and played more games, you know, does that mean he's automatically disqualified from the list? You know, we've we've seen guys get in trouble off the court um, for a lot of things. And usually it comes down to their performance on the court and if their team wins enough. So I think it should be separated personally, but um, I can understand why someone may feel like this is, you know, something that should be held against them. Yeah, Um you know, it's a tough situation because I thought, you know, the incident at the nightclub in Denver, which caused him to miss eight games, I thought that was really the specific reason that maybe some voters wouldn't vote for him. He feels like it's his altercations that got exposed during the summer um, in the early part of 2023, January. Uh, my feeling is this. Um, if you, If he doesn't make the team, and Damian Lillard does, I have a problem. <laughs> I, I have an issue because Damian Lillard played three less games than Ja. Yeah, he averaged 32 points a game, but if you look at their statistics, they're both shooting 46% from the field. Moran has more assists, more rebounds. His play helped lead the Grizzlies to the two seed in the West. Lillard's play helped lead the Blazers to the lottery. And I, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't get it, bro. I, I don't. And another angle I have is, look, the only way I, I agree with you, I think separate the two. Now, the only way I would be like, don't separate the two is if 
he was caught cheating, like performance enhancing drugs. Yeah. We saw, you know, DeAndre Aiden got suspended for that for 40 games a few years ago. Um, something along those lines where he's like, the punishment is he's doing something on the court that's illegal, gaining him an unfair advantage. Then I would get all that because that's a violation of the integrity of the game. But if it's an off-court incident based upon hearsay, and even a club incident where we come to find out he didn't violate any rules, it was more so he went out of his way to tarnish the image of the brand. He missed eight games. Cool. But you also said last segment, you know, a couple of days ago, up to that point, he did enough to be an All-NBA caliber player. Yeah. And then when he came back, he, if anything, helped solidify Memphis's number two seed in the West. So the way I looked at it is, look, if you want to punish him, do it in a way where he's not first or second team. Make him third team. I think that's only fair. And we keep it going from there. But I saw the list and, you know, Drew Holiday, your guy, he was up there. Uh, Damian Lillard was up there. I think he had 10 votes. Jalen Brunson was up there. I don't have a problem with Brunson, Drew, or Dame. But I, we could agree Ja had better years than them this year. Like, he just did um, as the lead guy. And so you're right. It does create a very slippery slope to the point where, okay, if he's going to be the poster child of we're going to hold you accountable for what you do off the floor by not voting you All-NBA, which is an award based upon your production on the floor, then what happens if another great superstar is caught up in some legal mess? That's a lot of hearsay, she say. We've and before. right and you then know, i i gotta keep it a bug you know code my guy but he got jammed up in some stuff in 05 he, did. he didn't yeah. make the the team because of that too and then also they weren't winning enough games so um that played a part now if i i could see if it was even with that situation like it was a legal process once again a lot of he say she say going to court right. figuring that stuff out if it was a situation like with Miles Bridges or like even Correct. in a football situation with um, Ray Rice or yeah. um, even Deshaun Watson, like something like that, where it was like, like it was definite at the time. Like we have the facts, like there's no denying it. This happened. Like we sure. saw it on camera or whatever the case may be. Then I can understand that's something like, it's so egregious that you need to like, you can't, this goes beyond like off court stuff in basketball. It has to, mess the two but i mean if it's just something in the personal life that other pe- other players have done and gotten away with i don't think it's something that we need to you know hurt the guy's pockets for like like because this is gonna affect him down the road yeah. like, with his contract so it's just sad to see but i mean gotta be smarter i guess gotta be smarter indeed and if he doesn't get this honor it's gonna be missing out on 39 million dollars which prevents Look him from getting though they gonna super max that Great for Memphis because now they got Jaron Jackson on a really good deal too, and got Jaren I don't think Jane's gonna ask for a supermax, so right, it might it might won't. help them out in the long run. Right, they got Jane, they got Jaren on a cheap deal. Um, according to the new CBA, Bain's rookie extension would carry into five years, so that's a, an opportunity to get him another cheap deal. So it helps the team, hurts your job. It's unfortunate, <laughs> but you live and you learn. Uh, moving on to the next topic, Atlanta and OKC Club shocked the world and they advanced to the next stage of the play. And we're going to start off with the Hawks. My guy, they out-rebounded Miami 63-39. to There were offensive stalwarts in the paint, outscoring the Heat 64-46 to inside, which spearheaded their 116-105 victory. 
to claim the Eastern Conference's seventh seed in a date with the Boston Celtics. Clint Capella had 21 rebounds. Jalen Johnson had 10 points and seven boards. Onyekon Kongu had 10 points and four boards as well. How shocked were you that the Heat just owned the interior against Miami from start to finish? And how confident are you they can carry that momentum to at least make the Boston series competitive in round one? Well, I'm not shocked that they own the paint the way they did when you really look at the, I mean, the one thing coming into the year, I think in, in our initial preseason pod, I talked about what are they going to do at the four? Now, I I kind of like the draft with Nikola Jovic. Um, I thought maybe there was gonna they were going to find some time for him. I know he's not exactly NBA ready, but I thought like 6'10", can stretch the floor, I think he'd be a, you know, basically what Kevin Love was doing, like <laughs> pretty much for for them now, just like a younger, maybe little less inexperienced version. But they usually get guys like that and turn them into like Spo and that organization has a good way of taking the good out of like those guys and making it shown on the NBA court. I thought they would do something like that. Um, they ended up playing Caleb Martin at the four majority of the year. Jimmy said straight up, I'm not playing Oparo Ford. Um, and it just never really solved that problem. And Bam, as athletic and good as he is on defense, um, he's still home like 6'9". Um, so I think his best position is probably a four at best. Like he can play center, but like when you're really matching him up with bigger guys, like I don't think that's that's the best way to go. But I'm not surprised because of their size um, discrepancy there. Jalen Johnson's damn near 6'10". I covered the the um, the summer league with him his rookie year, and he was he was a walking double-double by halftime. He, al- he always had, like, if not 10 and 10 or more, he would have, like, close to, you know, 15 and 8 or something like that. So he's just so athletic. He's going to walk his way into um, double-digit rebounds um, if he gets enough playing time. Capella obviously channeled his <laughs> his best version of Bill Russell, if you will. <laughs> Chinese, I thought he was going to get like 24 rebounds. Um, <laughs> when you factor that with Anyeka and Kong, who's not a big guy or a tall guy, I should say, but he's a bigger guy. He plays above the rim most of the time. And then um, even John Collins, who his hand has been hurting him, so he hasn't been finishing stronger around the rim, but another athletic freak. So it's like you got four of those guys versus J- uh, Bam. Jimmy's not really banging down there in the post. Like, and he's only six, seven, like compared to those guys and older in age too. So um, didn't surprise me, but I didn't like the fact that Bam was playing kind of lackluster. He looked really out of shape, which was interesting because he's played 77 games. Um, it was just surprising, but shout out to the, to the Hawks because every single time Miami threw a punch, they took it and they punched right back. Um, and I think I don't want to get beside myself. I think that they're going to lose to the Celtics, obviously, but I feel like at least four of those games are going to like come down to the wire because Trey Young's not scared of the big stage in a weird way. I feel like, he's better in high pressure situations than he is in like low pressure situations. Like when there's no expectation, I feel like he doesn't play as well, but when there's big expectation, he shows up. Um, 
And Beantown, they're known for, you know, getting rowdy. Same way with the MSG crowd a couple of years ago. So it'll be interesting to see how um, he he works through all of uh, Boston's capable defenders for him. Tatum, Brown, uh, Brogdon, um, Derek White. Like, they have a lot of guys. But if they play these four bigs in Capella, Okongwu, Johnson, and Collins, and we know Williams has not been reliable – for them is Horford going to be looking like bam towards the end of this series where he's like dang like I'm really down here with these four dudes like they sub two in they sub two out like it's just a constant battle um but nevertheless I think Tatum six eight he's athletic he can get down there get some rebounds and even Brown himself six seven can get more rebounds athletic younger guy so I don't think they'll have too much of a problem with the Hawks, but um, I think they will take this momentum from this game and make it competitive in the next round. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Indeed. Uh, I, I just feel like in this matchup with the Heat and the Hawks, Miami didn't come out with the requisite force or energy. Um, we kind of knew throughout the year they've owned the Hawks, you know, last year when they played them in the playoffs, demolished them in five. And then throughout the regular season, they won the season series, but you know, Bam, I thought early on was fine when it came to protecting the rim defensively. Like he was very active around the glass as a rim protector. But then over time, he kept getting annihilated on the glass. And it became more than just Capella. Like, all right, it was Capella, cool. Then Johnson would tag team, Okongu would as well. But I really like the pace that Trey Young played. Yeah, obviously he shot the ball eight or eighteen from the field. Um, I think he only made one three. He, he was he was jacking it up at times. He can't help himself. But I did think for the most part in the first half, he did a great job controlling the pace, getting to the lane, and feeding the shooters, feeding the bigs. And the difference between last year when they played in the playoffs and this year, Miami didn't double. And the reason why they didn't double is because the shooting, the activity around the glass, and DeJounte Murray's presence. This is why they got DeJounte Murray. They got DeJounte Murray for the Heat. For teams like that that can key in on Trey Young, now, Murray didn't play particularly well efficiently, but he was huge down the stretch making some key buckets. And so Trey Young's at his best when he's a traditional point guard, when he understands the time and score, he's featuring his teammates, the shooters, the bigs. That's where you get the most out of that offense. And I thought Quinn Snyder, I'll coach Spo. I think he came in with the intention, we're going to utilize our strengths, our assets, which is size. And we've got a rotation of activity guys that can come in around the glass and really own and put pressure on Bam, put pressure on Cody Zeller, put pressure on Kevin Love. And you just kind of saw Miami's undersized and they're old <laughs> on the glass. And then offensively, it's never a good sign when Jimmy Butler doesn't have it. He missed like easy layups to start, which is a pretty strong sign that he's just not going to have it tonight. And then I thought Tyler Hero played particularly well. He just got three quick fouls in, like, the third quarter. And so you kind of neutralized him. I mean, if Kyle Lowry didn't have it going, would have got ugly. Yeah. And so now for the Heat, my concern is they might be going home, bro, tomorrow. Like, because Chicago, it plays just like them. Mm-hmm. But they actually have two guys in Levine and DeRozan that can get a bucket. And Vucevic is a threat, not just on the glass, but offensively. And then Patrick Beverly, as we saw when they played Toronto yesterday, he came in with the activity and energy. Them and Caruso harassing Kyle Lowry, harassing Tyler Hero. That's a huge ax. And so, look, man, I told you all year, wasn't high on the heat at all. 
but I thought they'd at least get out the play in. And I don't I don't know if that's a guarantee anymore. Your feelings on that? Yeah, I mean I can't lie, it's not looking good, but um I do think they'll end up beating the Bulls. Um and one of the main reasons is just like the traveling that the Bulls are gonna have to do. Um I mean, going from Chicago to end the season to go to Canada and play this game. And it was like a very, you know, heavy endurance game. Like it, it's one of those games that probably can take a toll on you. Um, and I mean, they're not an old team, but they're not necessarily a young team. Um, and then now they got to leave Canada. And then I'm sure maybe they flew straight to Miami, who knows, but then going from Canada to Miami, um, I don't know. I just feel like in uh, what a three day span, that's a lot of different traveling to do. Um, and I just feel like this Miami team, like it's in their, it's in their blood to just like bounce back from stuff like this. I, I, I'm not, I'm not willing to doubt them until I got to see them lose. Cause I think Jimmy's gonna, Jimmy gonna fly out the gate, like a bat out of hell, like come out the gate bussing. Uh, I think Bam's gonna get, he probably got a call from Pat Riley yesterday. Like, look, we not doing that. All right. Um, I don't know if Kyle's going to have another game like that, but um, he's looking like he's getting closer to playoff form. Maybe it was a fluke, maybe not. Um, but I, I, I don't think they're going to come out and play the way they played before. They came out way too lackluster. And I think that's what ultimately led to them losing, but it'll be interesting. I, I I'll put my, if I had a bet, I, I would go with Miami, though. For sure, for sure, indeed. Oklahoma City, they're the next team, Clint. Wait, hold on, you Shock. didn't say who you were going with. You go oh, with who Chicago. I was going with? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, it's a coin flip. I mean, 50-50. Uh, traditionally, I had Miami and Chicago coming out. Um, now, one of them will come out. The other one's going to get mm-hmm. sent home. I don't know, man. Something about Patrick Beverly and playing teams, bro. Like, he bring the best mm-hmm. out of them. Uh, he came in in that Toronto game last night, changed the course of the game, really, with his activity defensively, hit a clutch shot as well. I don't know. It's 50-50. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get back to you. I'm going to get back to you on that. Um, Oklahoma City, another shocker. Stunned the Pelicans, became just the second 10th seed ever, them in Chicago, to win a playing game. Um, and this is despite them, Clem. They got killed on the glass, 48-38. to But none of that mattered. Because their guard trio of SGA, Giddy, and Dort, they did the damage. They all combined for 90 other teams, 123 points. They shot 30 from 58 from the field. Dort, in my eyes, claimed he was the big one. He shot 50% from deep and had a huge 27-point outing alongside his clutch defense against Brandon Ingram to help get the win. So how impressed were you about Dort's performance? And OKC, can they carry this momentum? into Minnesota tomorrow night and go back to back. Yeah, man. I I like I'm not shocked because like OKC's bad or that the Pels are like world beaters either. Um but I just felt like the Pels match up way better with them. I thought their best like their best asset are like the the long guys they have that they can throw at guys like Giddy or um, SGA or even Dort to like a lesser extent um, or Jalen Williams, like Murphy's long, 
Ingram's long, Herb is long. Like I thought they would do way better than they did, but those guys are just making shots. So um, I thought it was a very impressive outing by um, Dort. And he's been, this isn't the first time he's, you know, popped up in the last couple of weeks, just his defense on Kawhi, his defense down the stretch here with Ingram and then the, like his ability on offense. And the thing I loved about him from the jump, like when he is attacking the basket, even though he's only like six five, like going mm-hmm. up against Valanchunas, whether it was Jackson Hayes, it didn't matter who was in there, how long they were, he was going up to dunk. And when you attack the whole strong like that, like you're you're gonna get a whistle, you're going to get, you know, if you miss, somebody else is gonna cut hard and get that offensive rebound. So um I think he really set the tone, even though um SGA didn't have the strongest start, but uh, he really set the tone and Giddy had a great game too. Like this, this team, like I wish that Chet, like I wish they didn't rule Chet out. I, I want to go into a, a whole soliloquy about that, but like, I just don't like the fact that I feel like they're, they're, they're teaching young guys to like quit early. Like I get it. He got hurt, but like if his team's in a position to win, like uh, like get to the playoffs he's missed the whole year he didn't even finish the summer league he should be ready to play right now yeah he and got hurt in august he, so that's yeah September, like October. and it wasn't uh, it was a thing with the tommy jones fracture so it's not something yeah. that like i think they said he's been warming up for like the last month or so Which but is they believable. Did, like because yeah. he's young and they don't want to take any chances i get it but it's like man like we want to see these dudes play because it's like teams like this like OKC was supposed to be tanking for a long time. People came into the season talking about if SGA was going to be the next unhappy superstar because he was going to be on a team, not being able to make the all-star team, not being able to compete in the playoffs because they were going to be tanking. And here they are. Giddy's been stepping up all year. Uh, Jalen Williams um, stepped up and probably going to finish second in most people's ballots for rookie of the year. Um, SGA obviously took the next step. My my most improved player. Like you put Chet in for the other Jalen Williams at center. Like this is a capable team, and it just sucks to see. But I, I it's gonna be interesting to see this Wolves game. I'm gonna. I don't know. I don't. I don't think I want to see the Wolves missing this many players because now they say J Mac might be out too. It's just. It's just bad. Yes, it's really bad, and, and I'm kind of leaning towards OKC, bro. Like, because yeah. New Orleans thought they would come out on top because I'm like, the the size, the height factor. And they, Valanciunas came out and just dominated on the glass. Mm-hmm. But one of my key points in my analysis was OKC has three guards, three to four guards that could take you off the dribble. Um, Lou Dort, SGA, Giddy, uh, J-Dub. And I felt like they were going to give New Orleans lengthy front line problems. And they did. Uh, SGA was practically unguardable in the third. I think that kind of solidified their run to get all the way back in the game. And then in the fourth, I thought as a collective, they did enough. And then SGA comes down the stretch and makes clutch plays. And here we are. You know, Lou Dort reminds me a lot of Dylan Brooks and kind of like Dylan Brooks in college. He was at Arizona State an all-conference, fringe All-American type player. He comes into the league. He's got that strong body build, um, fearless driver. But the jump shot was a question mark. And I remember last year, I think, from the field, 
he shot like below 35%, but he could defend with the best of them. And like Dylan Brooks at times, he if he get a couple shots falling, that just adds another dimension to that OKC offense to where now you got to worry about him. And he had four threes, bro. Four threes. He ultimately, he will help win in the game because you know SGA is going to come in with 30s plus. Okay, Giddy getting 30. Don't really normally expect that. I mean, he was on my fantasy team, but you know Giddy's going to give you a triple-double. You expect J-Dub to be that third option. And he didn't have it, but Lou Dort did. And you're right, bro. If they had Chet Holmgren, it'd be scary. I'm I'm not going to lie, but I like what they're building going forward. I said if they tried this year, this was a 30-win team. They surpassed that by far. And I think Oklahoma City is back. Like, they're back, bro. And I think moving forward, this is a force to be reckoned with out West. And I got to give Sam Presti credit, bro. Like, he don't be missing in drafts, bro. He don't be missing, you know. Uh, And now I understand why in the past draft that just happened, you had all the top five prospects. They all wanted to hoop with the Thunder because they know – Yo, at OKC, they have a great developmental staff. I'm going to get run. I'm going to get challenged by my peers. I want to be – I could potentially be the best I could be. That's why Jabari Smith was crying, bro, when he didn't get picked second. I feel for him. But um, who wants to go to Houston? They don't develop nobody. But I like what they're building. They they played out of their minds, and they came through. And this is why SGA, bro, for both of us, he's first-team All-NBA. And he's going to be first-team All-NBA. I know a lot of guys on Twitter don't want to hear it. I'm hearing some cats like, over Luka? Yes, over Luka this year, bro. Because his play was always like this. Now it's impacting winning. And he clutched up when it mattered. But I got to give credit to Lou Dort and Giddy for making it happen. Those first three quarters, allowing their best player to take control. Huge win by them. Next topic up, can the Heat, Wolves return to the playoffs? We discussed the Heat and their chances. Uh, Minnesota... They got a tough, tough road ahead, bro. Um, they're going to have Gobert back, so that's good. Uh, but we've seen throughout the year him and Cat don't play particularly well when they're both on the floor together. Anthony Edwards, two games in a row, Clem has not shot the ball particularly well from the field. Um, and this is a Minnesota team that was up by 15 against the Lakers in the play-in, and they lost the game. A lot of it had to do with lack of depth. Towns getting in foul trouble with Edwards hurting himself. You just said their backup point guard, J-Mac, may not be healthy enough for this play-in matchup. They're playing a very confident Oklahoma City team that has a multitude of guys that can get buckets. Are you sold that Minnesota can be back in the playoffs with a play-in victory tomorrow night? I'm sold, I, but at this point, I don't even want them to make it, bro. Because <laughs> like, Not even because like, I just think it'll be more competitive of a series with OKC versus Denver than um, than uh, the Wolves and Denver. Just because, I mean, we're talking about another rotation guy. Like, now we're looking at their top nine players, four are injured. And even Noel, who played in the last game, I think the last two games now, he was hurt down the stretch of the year, too. So who knows what may happen before he gets hurt. And then I haven't heard anything, any update on Ant since the game, whether he was concussed because he was playing like it, um, whether that left shoulder, because he had the K tape on there, whether the, he's feeling any side effects or how, you know, what's going on there. 
And then Gobert was hurt too. That's the reason how they led to the whole punch situation. Um, so it's just, they're just too banged up, bro. Like you can count up to seven guys who are either out, hurt, or could possibly be questionable in the next one or two games if the, if the, the playoffs continue for them. So at this point, I think they can win with Gobert coming back. I think they're going to play with a little more edge at home. Um, I'm hoping that Ant will come out more aggressive. And honestly, like, I I don't mind him shooting bad. I mind him, like, not being aggressive. Like, there's nothing wrong. Like, shots going to fall. Shots may – like, you can't always control whether or not the ball goes in the basket. What you can control is attacking the rim. That's where he really just gave up um, at the end of um, the last game. And it was just really apparent in, in overtime and in the fourth quarter. I think Kevin Pelton was talking about um, they they only shot one shot further or closer to 22 feet in the last, like, nine minutes of the fourth quarter, which is crazy, you know? Um, so – We'll see. I, I think they can win, but I honestly, like, I hope OKC wins and just continues to grow as an organization and as a young team as they play Denver. Great points, man. Uh, Minnesota is that banged up. I kind of blew my mind, bro. Like, Rudy, yeah, bro. He, he, bro, he's already compromised. That's why the whole beef happened. Right. I, the Pelican matchup showed to me, at least in the play in. The size disparity that OKC is probably going to have is that they're going to have again when they play the Wolves. I don't think that really matters. I think what's going to matter is can you contain their guards? I mean, and it's not just SGA, bro. And I know Anthony Edwards has taken it upon himself recently. He wants to guard the best player mm -hmm. on the perimeter. That's fine. But can I trust an old Conley to contain Giddy? Um, McDaniels isn't there, so that means Torian Prince is going to have to deal with the physicality of Lou Dort. J-Dub didn't play particularly well last game. He's due for a good one, you know? And Gobert, no, look, Gobert and Towns, they're bigger than Jalen Williams and whoever else is on Oklahoma City's front line. But Gobert's not really an offensive threat. Cat at times can play a little bit away from the basket. I, it just feels like it's tailor-made for the Thunder to punch their ticket to the playoffs. And I think they will. And if that does happen for the Wolves, what a disappointment, man. Because I we both had high expectations for them in the playoffs. Well, in the regular season, to get to the playoffs, they didn't execute them. Now, towards the end of the regular season when Cat came back, they beat the Warriors. Um, who else they beat? Well, I was like, man, they beat the Kings. So I was like, okay, they turn the corner, and then they just bottomed the heck out. Just They just bottomed out. And I think this is it for them. And if the Thunder punch their ticket and get a chance to play the Nuggets, that's going to be a very underrated but exciting series because Denver's not that great of a defensive team. Um, they're going to challenge Jamal Murray, Caldwell Pope, Bruce Brown to guard them. But then at the mm -hmm. same time, I expect Jokic to have probably Chamberlain-type numbers because <laughs> Oklahoma City can't really guard him. Nice so um, I think Thunder – beat the Wolves, and move on. And like you, bro, I hope they do because I'm not trying to see a beat-up Wolves team in the first round, bro. Like, yeah. I, that that's not going to fly. Next up, man, where do the Pelicans go from here? You know, we both had them winning last night. They did not. 
and Zion Williamson never came back from his January injury. The Pels, following their 18 and 8 start to the year, went 34 and no, I don't think 34 33 is correct. They they didn't go 34 and 34, but I think they went 24 and 33 the rest of the way. Um, in route to missing the playoffs altogether for the fourth time in five years. So I was looking at the contracts. Zion's max deal kicks in next year. Not good. 114 games in four years. That's tough. McCollum's 31 years old, and he's making at least $30 million for the next three years. He's broken down yet again for the second time in three years. That's not good either. He's not getting any younger. And Jonas Valanciunas next season will be in the last year of his contract, which is 15 mil. So you got to make a decision on him. You don't want to lose him for anything. Um, I personally feel club. The team should probably move on from those three guys and retool around Brandon Ingram, because I think the ceiling with this squad has been understood. I know you're a big Zion guy. So we're going to start with Z first. I was on your side, bro. And I know you still, you still thinking this. I was thinking one more year, but it didn't look good, bro. Before the game, he doing windmills and he coming out saying, I- I'm fine. I'm just not mentally there. That opens the door for your teammates to resent you. H- how can you keep him around for another year and it not be awkward considering what's happened the past few seasons? Yeah. Um, you know, it's been tough. Uh, I can definitely say that. But trading Zion's not should not be on the table yet. Um, I think next year, if this similar thing happens where it's like he only plays 20-something games, then I think for sure um, the discussion needs to, to happen. But we all just need to take a deep breath and take a step back here. And just remember that we have a generational talent at hand. All right. And I will remind everyone, Joel Embiid, the guy who's about to win MVP this year. Okay. Guess how many games he played in, uh, uh, his first four years in the league? Just guess. Hmm. You talked about it in the chat. Um, 113 games. No. He did not. He didn't even reach 100 in the first four years. Mm. All right. 94 games. 94. That's 20 less than Zion. All right. In four years, Zion has played more games. He has a higher points per game average and he has more all star appearances. All right. And he's shown when he's in the game as the number one guy, their ceiling has been the second best team in the West. All right, Joel wasn't even doing that. They weren't winning anything. Um, as much as B.I. has been holding it down, I think he's proven that he's a solidified number two on a championship team, if not more, if not a 1A. But he's shown that with him at the helm, like, you're not going to be able to get, like, past maybe the first round. Like, that's that's his peak as a number one guy. So, like I said, I think next year is the breaking point for me. If we see the same story next year, he comes in, he's, you know, putting up his numbers, they're winning, he goes down, and then he's out for the rest of the season or whatever combination he gets hurt in the, in the offseason and he 
doesn't start the season and then he gets hurt, whatever the case may be. If he plays under, I'll say, 40 games next year. Now, remember, let me – if he plays less than the 61 games he played that uh 2021 season, I think then you can talk like, all right, this isn't working. But them too, they, they – Pels have to take accountability for some of this. They have been babysitting Zion, all right? Like, you got a young talent like that, and I get it. You want to invest in your asset. You don't want him to break down too early. But it's like babysitting him is not going to get you the result that you want either. Like, that's not the answer. Like, last year, prime example, the guy was out for a long time, ramped up, did everything he was supposed to do, and instead of letting him play down the stretch, like, they're like, oh, no, we're going to sit him out because we don't know if we're going to, like, be in the in the playoffs yet. Like, just imagine. I know hindsight is twenty twenty. If they let him play down the stretch of last season, even they're like, okay, let's wait until the playoffs start. We'll let him play them four games. Now, this year, we're not even talking about him mentally because I, I don't think it's, like, him questioning his ability. I know he did say that, but I think a lot of it, too, is, like, the guys are like playing well together. He doesn't want to come in and mess all of that up. So it's like you looking like, damn, you're supposed to be the number one guy, but then like you come in and now, you know, the team's gonna have to adapt to you, but you're not really ready to be, you know, leading the team yet. So it's like all of these different factors that I I one hundred percent get it. So I just think both sides have not managed it well. Obviously, I'm gonna blame Zion more than anyone because I think he should have played. Um just to be out there, because I think I would take 15 minutes of Zion over 15 minutes of Jackson Hayes. Like, it is what it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, no defense at all. Like, because Zion just being on the court is going to attract a different level of attention. Um, but it's 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 sad, man. It's just sad to see because great guy, like, you know, he's he's saying the right thing. I feel like he's, you know, some of it is genetics, I think. Like, he's just not someone who sheds weight lightly like and it just sucks to hear like you know just him talking about how like it's affecting him mentally like he's hearing people talk about his weight he's hearing people talk about his dress and all types of just tearing him down um the social media and young people conversation is just I think there needs to be at some point in the next three to five years where there's some kind of some kind of agreement to where it's like the players need to spend a, a way less time on social media because it's obviously not only affecting Zion, but we've seen Andre Drummond, we've seen Kevin Love, PG, Giannis just came out and had a um, yeah. talk about it too. So it's just that's a whole nother conversation. But I think I sure. think that they need to just give this one more year and try to get Bi and Zion to play a good like twenty to fifty games together and then reevaluate where they need to go from there. All great points, all fair points. Um, I want to touch base on the Joel Embiid perspective. Uh, unfortunately, Embiid, when he came into the league, already had the leg injury at Kansas. That's why he never played for them. So coming in, Philadelphia, I think, knew what they were walking into an investment-wise. They were gaining an injury-prone player. And I also think during that stretch, let's be real, Clem, Sixers was not trying to win. They were trying to continue to tank a part of the process. So we got to keep that in mind. For Zion, he didn't come into the league injury prone. We we thought, I didn't even think, I, but we heard, yo, the way he plays, his size, his weight, 
high flyer, all that's going to compress on his legs. Um, that's going to come back to bite him. I've heard that. I heard that a lot. And I was like, eh, whatever. I mean, he's still great talent. But then we started to see that stuff materialize year in and year out, year in and year out. So during that four-year span, he's become injury prone. And it's something that we just got to accept the reality on him. And you're right. I think a lot of it is the weight thing, not being able to um, get rid of pounds easier. Um, look, dude in New Orleans, bro, we know he probably eating good. So that doesn't help either. Um, we also know you're injured and it's your lower extremities that are compromised. You're not able to just work out mm-hmm. immediately as part of rehab. Like you got to be able to rest, heal, and then get to that next stage of rehabilitation. Um, here's what I'll say about all this. Look, at first I was like you, Clem, one more year. Now I'm like, take some calls, take some calls, see what teams potentially are offering. Because, you know, I heard what kind of what Skip Bayless was saying a little bit. Um, he said from his sources that Zion, his camp, led by his stepdad, they're kind of in a mental differential space with them and ownership. Um, Pels feel like he's ready to hoop, but Zion's folks are like, yo, we went to the independent doctor. He's not all the way there yet. Give it time. And I also remember a few years ago, his his family was a big proprietor of, we don't want our son to be playing for the Pelicans. We don't want him in New Orleans. We want him somewhere else. That obviously died down when they gave him the max, but I don't think those feelings ever really left. So we can agree. I don't think Zion and his people want to be there, and I don't think New Orleans is as fond anymore of what he could potentially be because he's always hurt. So I think in the offseason, you have to at least entertain offers. And he still has some type of value despite him being injury prone multi-time all-star was once an all-nba guy averages 26 points per game you can probably mortgage him if you want to put him on the market and see what you can get in return because i think what this team needs they need a point guard probably need another big so i say entertain some calls i'm not saying get rid of them yet but i do think I don't think any longer you can stand by the whole, well, we'll just run it back one more year because, unfortunately, you're in a division where Memphis, you and Memphis used to be on the same level. They're ascending, you're stagnating. We can agree Dallas had an odd year, but we expect Luka and Kyrie to be back in a playoff mix next season. You don't want to be for another year in your own division a distant memory. Especially when we, we all know Houston in a tough rebuilding stage. They're a coach and maybe a Wimbanyama away. They could potentially be better than you. So they're on the clock. I don't think they're in a position where they could just be like, let's do it again next year. Because I think they did that the past couple years, and it was the same result. So at least entertain offers to see what you could potentially get for him and retool your team around Brandon Ingram. Because I think Brandon Ingram, like you said, he's solidified himself at worst a number two option. At best, he could continue to develop it to a number one. But I think for him to be that, I look, it's fair to say that because I don't think he's a number one right now. But you won't really know unless you're ready to turn the page because right now you're still on the Zion page. And as long as you're on that, Brandon Meagum is just going to always be a place-holding number one option, not a legitimate one you're trying to build around. Um, another guy I do want to touch base on, CJ McCollum, though, bro. Like, he's making 30 mil for the next three years. He's clearly shown he is not 
a number two option anymore, a reliable one. He is their leader, and he did talk about, I know you saw it, how he was like, yo, our best players got to be there and be available. And I know a lot of people was like, bro, he throwing shots at Zion. I don't think it was just at Zion. I think it was also at B.I. because he missed time too. Yeah, And that played a huge part in them not really having that cohesion together early in the year to gain heavy traction out West. I just don't think he's the same player that he used to be in Portland. If you're the Pels, do you entertain moving on from him this offseason or just give it time? I'd say give it time. I, I think I think everyone's like, we live in such a fast-paced society, bro. It's like every time something's not going how we thought it was, we're like, oh, we need to change this up. We need, but it's like for one. What are you getting that's substantially better that's going to change, like, the situation at hand? Like, C.J. McCollum isn't – I think he's a three or a four on a, on, a, on a great team at this point, which is fine because yeah. if Zion's there and B.I.'s there, he's in the right position. Like, the number three or when Trey Murphy or Herb is on or even Valanchunas, he can be the four or the fifth option, you know? And I think as he – I think he's going to be one of those guys who ages gracefully because he's never had to like really carry a team. He's always been more of a supporting player. And now his role's getting smaller and smaller, the older he gets. Um, and he drinks a lot of wine. So I think it's going to help him out. Um, also with the Zion situation, same thing. It's like, you look around the landscape of the league, like who can you, who would you really like get for Zion that could be, a potential number one guy that could be a potential all NBA player. And I know it's like, okay, we're still on Zion's pace. So Ingram, Ingram hasn't shown that, you know, he hasn't really like been able to show that. Nah, I'm pulling the card on that. He like, if you really got it like that, if you really that dude, it don't matter whose team it is. If you're the best player on the court, you go out and you grab that bull by the horn and you ride it. And it's like, look, when Zion come back, we're going to give him back the reins. But until he come back, I'm yeah, it's my team, you know. I'm going to hold it down. I think Ant was, like, a good example of that. You know, two, three years ago, we were talking about Cat. It was Cat's team. Cat been getting hurt. Cat hasn't been performing. Ant has stepped up, and now it's his team. And B.I. is the older one, so it's like he shouldn't even be waiting on Zion. Like, that should be something. He should be ready to take the bull from the horn and, and, and ride it out, too. Like, he was – almost the number one pick. Like, I mean, some could argue that he was probably, I mean, outside of Donovan Mitchell, he's probably one of the best players from his draft class too, you know? So um, I just think they need to slow it down and understand you're in a market that does not get high quality talent. So if you're going to move off of probably your most talented roster ever, you need to make sure you're going to get people who are going to raise the bar and that are also going to want to stay because if you flop with this, it's over with. I feel you. I do. I really, really do. Um, It's just one of those situations where I don't, you're right. We do live in an era where it's, you know, fast paced. It's one of those things where it's like, if you're not doing it right in a two to three year span, we got to blow it up. But I think what New Orleans is competing against is other rebuilding projects. Like I said, them and Memphis started on the same timeline. 
Memphis has ascended. Um, it's not gonna look pretty, bro, if OKC laps them in a couple of years in development. And so I get it. You you don't wanna if you want to pull a plug, you don't want to trade Zion for a bag of chips. You want to be able to get some type of valuable asset um that can at least be a potential number one. So, you know, how about this? If in another year it's the same song, see how Detroit feels about Kay Cunningham, because, you know, Kay was their guy. He was a guy I thought a couple years ago New Orleans could have traded Zion to Detroit, number one pick, take Kay. Um, Kay was their guy. He got hurt this past year. Jay Navi took over the reins, and he looked pretty good. And so if next year they're playing and it just seems obvious Jaden's probably the brighter guy than Kay, and Kay's the odd man out, maybe you can entertain that. Uh, LaMelo Ball, potentially. But... I think the only move that makes sense kind of right now, and I don't know if they want to do that because you kind of you may be trading a problem for a problem. Right. Trey Trey Young's kind of unhappy in Atlanta. Zion's kind of unhappy in New Orleans. I mean, that that's the only move where it's like, all right, you trade an all-star for an all-star. They kind of on the same level where they're very talented, but their potential is kind of capped out due to internal issues. But um, it really just comes down to what do the Pelicans value? I mean, if they value making tickets, if they value making money, if they value the attention, you're going to keep Zion for as long as you can. But, you know, if you value competing for a championship, you really do have to entertain. We may have to move on. And it sucks because I was really high on Zion when he came out. I thought bro was going to be special. And Josh is better than him. John Moran's the best player in that draft class. And it doesn't matter how much you may have liked Ja at that time, because Ja had some fans. I don't think anybody thought Ja Morant would be the best player in his draft class in four years. We we didn't think that. At worst, what maybe two, maybe three, you're the best. And so, and he, they're in your own division. So now you're gonna have Pelican fans saying, and I've seen it. We should have took Ja. And it's like, I mean, you coulda, but no one expected Ja to be this right now and so they're in a tough spot and i'm intrigued to see what they're going to do um because they're on the clock and you don't want to let this positive rebuilding stage just be a waste of time you don't let want me, that let me happen. just rebuttal really quick on the the job piece job undoubtedly is the best player in their draft class right now but like i said i feel like in 2016 Donovan Mitchell, Brandon Ingram, and Ben Simmons were all – well, Ben Simmons was drafted a different year, but he played his rookie season the same time. Um, actually, no, I'm getting mixed up. 2016, Brandon Ingram and Ben Simmons came in. But um, if we're looking tw- four years in 2020, right, if you were to mm-hmm. ask who's the better player, most people were picking Ben Simmons, yeah. right? Now <laughs> we know what's going on. Nobody's right. picking Ben Simmons. Um, not to say Jai's gonna fall off out of nowhere, but we don't know what what the next four years is gonna hold. Like we've seen what Jai has going on now. Like who who's to say that you know he fixes everything and does a spiral or he stays healthy? You know that we talked about. That's something we were worried about. Um, I just think we just need to let things play out sometimes and. Four years from now, it may be a totally different story. Totally different story. Another example, AI and Kalim, maybe not so much, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I'll think of another example. But yeah, four years in, obviously Ja has the ring, but I think there's still time and there's a sample size there to show like, okay, well, when Zion is playing at his best and Ja's playing at his best, they're neck and neck. But yeah, that's all. Last but not least, are people overreacting to the Memphis Grizzlies LA Lakers series? This is a topic I want to touch base on because I've seen a lot of people on NBA Twitter, um, guys in media. I think a little bit overthinking it, bro. Um, look, and I get why they're overthinking it. This Lakers team does have Anthony Davis. They do have a, a LeBron James, an aging LeBron James, but but they got LeBron and AD. All right. Last time we seen them in a playoff setting, uh, they were either winning the championship in the bubble, and then the next year they were a top. Uh, what are they a top two? No, Phoenix was the top. No, they were seven. They lost. They were seven. They were seven. They lost to Phoenix. But coming into that series, we didn't know Phoenix just came back in the playoffs. We were like, "Yo, defending champs, they got a shot." I get all that. Um, but this basketball team, Clint, is twenty fifth in three point percentage, twentieth in free throws. It's a very old team outside of getting to the line, which I think is a microcosma of they got robbed against Boston. And I think the refs have done them a huge favor since then. Um, they can get ran out the gym as well because it aligns with the fact that they're old. I, I just don't see them being special enough to beat the Grizzlies. I mean, do you feel the same? I know we talked about this on the side. You said Memphis in six. I said Memphis in five, Memphis in six at worst. I just, I don't, I don't, like, I, I don't see it, bro. Like, what what are we missing that other people are seeing beyond, beyond LeBron and AD? Because that's all they had. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I can see it. I see why, and I went back and forth with it. But it's just for me, just rationally, I just kept asking myself, when – was the last time we've seen the I think I think they've only played like 12 consecutive games together since since the bubble um AD okay. and LeBron um I just don't think that they're going to be able to either be healthy enough or like if you can still lean on LeBron for 40 minutes a night with playoff intensity basketball especially against a team like Memphis that likes to get up and down. With that being said, I, I still think that if if they're healthy, I think they can beat them, especially with Steven Adams being out, especially with uh, Brandon Clark being out. Um, and then, I mean, we don't know, like, how this whole situation is going to affect Jai with him not making all NBA. I think it's going to motivate him. But he might also be thinking like, damn, I'm about to lose a rip of money because of some dumb stuff and, you know, feel kind of resented, you know, by it. And that, that might make him talk about how he deals with stress and he needs to find a better way to do it. This might lead him more into that, you know, into like his bad habits. So it'll be interesting to see how they play it out. But AD versus Jaron to me, it's a mismatch, not because of ability, but because of availability. And it's ironic <laughs> because AD is usually the guy who's hurt and not available. But Jaron is also a guy who is out of the game and unavailable because he gets in foul trouble. And the thing with young teams, this is why I never, like, this is one of the reasons why I haven't been big on the Grizzlies because 
they're young. And even though Jaws like a I think he's an I think he's proven to be a number one. I still think like when when it gets thick, like I don't think that their team is equipped to really like be like, all right, look, we're gonna play differently. We're gonna like like play more mature. Like we saw in the Minnesota series and Minnesota is just a foolish team the way they play basketball. Like <laughs> they're young, foolish. but they just foolish. Like, all right. And I think Memphis kind of has some of that in them too. Like, so it'll be interesting. But I, I, I see where they're coming from. I, I see why people think that the Lakers could win because there is a world where LeBron is attacking the rim, and Austin Rivers is attacking the rim, and AD's down there mucking it up with Jaron Jackson, and you know he gets in foul trouble. And now you're asking Santi Aldama to play, what, 25 to 30 minutes tonight? You're asking Roddy to bang down there with AD. Like, I mean, he's a big guy, but, like, AD's long, man. Like, as long as he's healthy and playing down there in the post-aggressive and LeBron is attacking the basket, I can see a world where they lose. But I just <laughs> – I don't think they're going to be healthy. I think something's going to happen. AD's going to get a stinger. LeBron's going to get hurt. Or they're just gonna be too tired in the fourth quarters and they're gonna lose. But I, I don't think they're overthinking it. I can see where they're coming from. Yeah, um they're living in the past. Um they're banking on uh they're banking on some easy topics, some easy points. Like Stephen Adams isn't there. Cool. Um, I don't think the Stephen Adams loss matters for the Grizzlies in this series because of the way AD plays. Like, AD is not a yoke. Like, he's not a banger. He's more of a face-up five that can be effective towards the basket, but as a roller. Um, so there's that. And then LeBron, and LeBron, he's at this point, he's, spurt. he's a spurts guy. Like, he'll give it to you in a spurt. But, you know, Dylan Brooks... I mean, he gonna bring it. He gonna he gonna do his Draymond S stuff. He gonna be annoying. My concern though is they can't guard John. They can't guard Desmond Bay. They don't guard the three point line particularly well. They can get ran out the gym, and they don't shoot the ball particularly well in L.A. Now Memphis used to be the same way. I think that's why Memphis struggled because you know Bang wasn't there, and they used to be breaking it up too. But then they got Luke Kennard, and he's just taking off. And then Bane's getting his stroke back. We know what Ty can potentially do. And then this is the best home team in the league, bro. 35 and 6. Like, I think a lot of people are banking on how Memphis was last year. Last year, they were an immature team. Are they still immature? Hell yeah. But last year, that was their first <laughs> time, like, being in the playoffs as a two-seed favor. And they showed it. Now, I think they're locked in for Memphis. They're locked in for the Lakers. And I think a lot of it has to do with, I'm, I'm saying, I think a lot of it has to do with Shannon Sharp talking noise to him, the media like y'all going home. Um, I think they're really locked. I think this is a perfect opponent for them, the Lakers. I think if they would have got Minnesota again, I think they'd probably been like, eh, like, eh, whatever. I don't think they would have taken them as serious. They're going to take these guys serious. And I think with that in mind, now it's going to come down to basketball-wise. Okay, AD is the best player for the Lakers. He's going to have to do his thing. But they're banking on Jaron Jackson getting in foul trouble. Can, can that happen? Hell yeah. Because he loves fouls. <laughs> he does. He does. That's a big bet. But if that doesn't go your way at least four to five games – 
Like you can't, they can't guard, they can't guard these dudes, bro. Outside of AD being able to maybe guard Jaren towards like, the basket, you know, but you know, Jaren like to spot up as well. You know, AD doesn't like playing away from the back. Like they can't guard them. Now people will be like, all right, y'all like to drive. We're gonna take away the paint. They got shooters now, though. So, and they're gonna have, bro, I'm telling you, they're gonna play a lineup where Jaren's at the five, you know, Dylan's at the four. Bane's at the three, Kanar's at the two, Jaws at the one. And they're going to space them cats out, take AD away from the paint, and they're going to be like, all right, guard us in space. And Bane's improved as a creator off the bounce. Ja has improved his playmaking ability, career highs and assists. Luke Kanar, underrated aspect of his game, he could put it on the floor and create, bro. Like, it's, I'm hearing what people are saying. It's like, okay, Memphis, they don't have Adams and Clark. But outside of AD, who who the who, who the Lakers have off the bench that can? Hey, Vando's a very good defender too. Don't sleep on Vando. He, he's a he's a very good defender around the basket. He's not very good in space. He's yeah, not. I disagree. He did a really good job on Luca. Um, he's done a very good job. I mean, he played in some of those minutes too. Like he can get after it on defense. I think. I think that's one of their other strengths if you want to point towards something that like they will pack the paint and although they can go with that five-man lineup that you just named, like in that lineup, I'm not really scared of Dylan or Jaron Jackson beating me from three. Like if they if they beat me from three, then they beat me from three. Like I'm closing hard on Kennard and I'm, you know, trying to run Bane off the line. Like Whatever happens after that happens. Ja drives. We close the paint. He kicks it to to um Jaron. We, we you know we'll close out. Well, you know we ain't we ain't running out there like trying to swat the three. We they pass it to Brooks. They run into the paint. They're like yo, let him shoot. He with us. They pass it to uh Bane. You gotta close it out. You know make sure he either swings or, or tries to drive. Um, the only person I'm worried about in that lineup is is. Canard and he's a defensive liability too. So on the other end, it's like, you know, LeBron's a masterpiece at getting the the matchups he wants. That's big chicken every time, though. So there's there, I see that's what I'm saying. I see where the overthinking, as you stated it, can come from. But I think that the main reason is because um you could argue that after Ja, like the two best players in this series are LeBron and AD, and it's not that close. <laughs> and so. then you could, and then you could argue after that. That's it for the Lakers. Like I like like their team is LeBron and AD. And uh, okay, if this was twenty fifteen, I got it. I understand. I'll probably be Lakers too, but. LeBron gives it to you in spurts. We saw that against Minnesota where for like increments in the second, he was there. But then that fourth quarter, he was awful. Outside of making that shot to tie the game, he wasn't good. No, he made a great kick out to Schroeder, but he didn't have it. You know, AD was probably the most consistent and he was doing his thing around the glass, but they also struggled, Clem, to guard the three-point line. So you're out here saying they'll relent threes to the, you know, the weakest shooters on Memphis. Bro, they could give up threes to the best shooters on Memphis. This isn't a good closeout team beyond the line. Like, I, 
I feel like their defense is overrated a little bit. And I think it kind of got exposed against the Clippers. And then after that, against the Suns B team, against the Jazz twice, and even against Minnesota with old Conley. None against Conley. He can still go, but he's older. Like, you start seeing, dang, like, they don't have on-ball defenders like that, like we thought. Like, the rim protection is there with AD, and the versatility is there with Vando. But LeBron don't guard nobody. D'Lo don't guard nobody. Um, Schroeder can't really guard nobody. I think the guy, now for the leg, I think these are two guys they need to play. You got to play Lonnie Walker. This is a Lonnie Walker series. He's an athlete. He can get after it. He could play two ways. He could be another shooter. It's another body you could potentially throw on Ja as a defensive type item. And then, you know, they played Rui a little bit and I liked it. He'll probably have to play, you have to play him a little more because Roddy's going to get minutes. Him and Roddy are kind of built the same. He's a little taller than Roddy. That's somebody that you can have banging down there. But I just feel like for the Lakers, not a great shooting team. They're a much older squad. Their defense as a whole is a little overrated. And their offense is very Braun AD-centric. And they're not the guys as a collective that they used to be a few years ago. And you're playing a younger team that can get after it defensively and then run off of your mistakes. Bro, I see five. Like, I, I, maybe it goes six if Memphis is BSing. I don't think Memphis is BSing against the Lakers, bro. Like, I think they have everybody's attention, bro. Two games. Come on now. Come on. Five, bro. Five. (laughs) Five. I see five. I see five. You know, maybe if LeBron was in his prime, Seven games. Prime. This wouldn't even be a series, bro. It'd be, it'd be <laughs> a series. That's a little disrespectful. If Brian was in his prime, this is six seven Lakers, but he's not. So, and I think this is going to be the series. I mean, bro, you saw at the end of the Minnesota game, he was gassed. He's like, bro, he gonna have to play forty plus minutes every game. They're gonna need him that's to because I he, think they're gonna lose. So I, I that's can see, I can see why they think. Because I went back and forth about it, but I think Dylan Brooks is going to tire him out, not only physically, but just, like, emotionally. It's going to be like a flashback to that Lance Stevenson-LeBron matchup. (laughs) (laughs) It will. And, And, look, hey, these teams played each other three times. Lakers did win the season series. But in all of those games, LeBron, AD, and Jody all didn't play at the same time. They all will. So, Interested to see where that goes there. But episode 12, NBA Intel is now complete. Um, Clem, too big playing games coming up. And then obviously the playoffs will start this weekend. Which series can't you wait to watch? And a dark horse team that you feel like isn't getting the respect that they deserve that can make a playoff run in the first round, maybe even win a series. Ooh. The series I'm most excited to watch definitely Grizzlies Lakers. Um and then Kings Warriors. Those yeah. are like the two series I'm I'm really excited to watch. I mean, I wish I wish Paul George wasn't hurt. The Clippers yeah. itself would probably be number one on my list then. Um, but I think the other series are pretty much like you know what's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, it'll probably be a little, you know, ups and downs, but the the sleeper team, both actually in the um Eastern Conference, like I said, I think I think the Hawks can I think they can 
give the Celtics a run for their money because of Robert Williams, like might not like I he's just not reliable. And I just don't know what they'll look like if if it's those four younger athletic big guys on Atlanta versus Al Horford. And what Luke Carnett is you gonna rely on him yeah. in the playoffs? No. Yeah. So like if Tatum's gonna have to play more four, and we know from last year the physicality wasn't really something he enjoyed. Um, I just wonder how that's gonna affect the series. And even DeJounte Murray, like what what impact is he gonna make defensively? But um, I think like I said, I think the Celtics will probably end up winning, but I think the Hawks are really gonna like push them. And then another sleeper team, the Nets. I saw a clip about um, their defensive rotation on pick and rolls with MB. And they were like, oh, yeah, the Nets cracked the code. And I watched it a few times. I was like, dang, like, this is a really good defensive team. Like, we already knew that, but watching it and seeing Mikel Bridges take the next step offensively is like, okay, this is going to be interesting. Um, and then Harden, you know, like – What's his health status? If he's 70%, how does that affect his ability to play and create? Um, so yeah, those are those are the the ones I'm looking forward to. Yeah, those are great, great selections as well. I'm gonna agree with you, Kings Warriors. I think that's the one that I'm gonna be really interested in. Uh just seeing those two teams match up because they both play similar styles. Uh, we all know Sacramento probably by far is like the worst defense in the playoffs. So I'm intrigued to see um, what type of adjustments they will make to crack the code. And then in the East, bro, I'm not saying they're going to win a series, but the Knicks. Like, I feel like the energy what? around the Knicks, I know the Knicks. I think a lot of people are just chalking that up as Cavs in five, easy work, sweep. But Man, Jalen Brunson, bro, he low-key is a playoff performer. He's a dog. Um, Tibbs has had this young guy rotation, get a lot of reps and burn during the regular season. I think that confidence that they gained from near my carrying into the playoffs. And then, look, Donovan Mitchell, I don't mean to do it to him. First-team All-NBA, deservedly so. I think he's a little bit overrated as a playoff performer. I, I do. And I think the reason why is we talked about it, he he goes too hard. And I think that's a concern for me because he has a team, Garland, Mobley, Allen. He doesn't need to. And I, I feel like this series is going to be to him like a war match where it's like him versus the Knicks. And I think that combined with New York style of play may make this series stretch out longer than it should. And if it goes seven, New York has a great chance to win because, I mean, I mean, Cleveland, uh, first time with this core. I mean, Donovan has playoff experience, but the rest of the key guy, they don't. So I'm intrigued to see where that can go. So that's, that's a series I'm tapped in and intrigued by. But without further ado, man, NBA Intel episode 12 is complete. It's your main man, Kibuba Monty, my co-host, coming Gibson. We'll be back with you guys sometime next week to talk about the energy and the synergy of the NBA playoffs because it's finally here. So until then, yeah, it's finally here. Can't wait to see it. But until then, we'll see you then.
It's the most wonderful time. <laughs> the All right, bro.